This is 680 CJOB. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Main Ingredient. I'm your host, Kevin Bergen, and on this Father's Day weekend, we're going to talk about something most fathers enjoy, beer. And in studio today, I have Fort Gary Brewing General Manager, Oris Teresco, and head brewer, Dan Geddes, to talk about how they make their fine products. How are you doing today, guys? Great. We are very good. We are very good. Uh, let's you. talk about the origin of Fort Gary Brewing. I don't think many people realize how long Fort Gary Brewing, or how old the company truly is. So let's talk a little bit about that. Okay, actually, the company was started in 1930 by uh, Richard Hoshin's uh, great-grandfather, uh, making Frontier beer, and... Uh, they kept trucking along until Molson's made them an offer in the 1960, and they and they bought the trademarks. And uh, basically, in the late 80s, Richard Hoshin, who had a passion for making beer, he bought the trademarks back from Molson's. So he started uh, Fort Gary Brewing and just making kegs. It was a one-man show, and. Uh, Initially, he was uh, busy enough to hire a second employee, uh, Dave Still, and then Gary DePap came on. So the three of them uh, worked there for a while. And as business got better, his father raised a bunch of money, and they expanded, and they started, they were going to start making uh, a bigger keg operation. Then Bieber Securities uh, put together a package, and they raised $5 million in one month. And they, they built the, the facility at 130 Lawson Crescent, uh, which is an awesome facility. And yeah, it's, a nice, uh, it's a nice place. I it's like history it. since then. It's just been rocking. You've, you've been around the beer industry for a while. How has it changed in the last, let's say, 20 years? Yeah, in Manitoba, I guess uh, the biggest change is now the big guys don't have breweries here. At one time, all three companies had breweries. They employed hundreds of people here. It was great, and then a free trade came. They basically shut down, and uh, they just cared about making money, and uh, people didn't mean anything. So it opened the doors for us to kind of get things going and uh, and start from there creating, um, the you know, uh, craft beer, uh, more passion, uh, everything. We try to keep it as local as we can from the sales side, uh, the companies have cut back too, so uh, we've developed relationships over the years of making sales calls, and uh, uh, a lot of the accounts try to support us because we are local, and, mm-hmm. and that part of it keeps growing and growing. Which is perfect. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about beer. Dan. Here we go. This you're, is my... you're, on, you're on the hot seat, brother. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so let's talk about the process of making beer and what parts of the process are critical in making a great beer, or okay. a good beer great. Sure. So uh, you pretty much have four different parts of the process you have your uh your mashing um which is pretty much taking your barley mixing it with tempered water and you're turning the starches and from the grain into sugars which the yeast later on will ferment and turn into alcohol and co2 um, as you're talking i'm just going to take a sip of my amber lager okay, then so i will I'm, take I'm a, a sip parched. of my pilsner <laughs> lager <laughs> Can you guys come here every day yes perfect. we will Bring beer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you have your mash ton. Um, that, uh, it's in a big tank, uh, so barley and water for about an hour. Um, after those starches have been converted into sugars, uh, it's then transferred into a lauder ton where it goes through a loudering process. Um, that is pretty much just separating your uh, grain, which is called spent grain at this point, um, and your sugar water. Uh, that sugar water is then collected into your kettle uh, where it is boiled 
and your hops are added. Um, does a couple of the boil does a couple different things. It sterilizes the liquid uh, first and foremost, which is very important in this industry. Um, and it, uh, that those kind of temperatures allow the hops to be fully utilized and you can get that full profile of either a single hop that you're using or different varieties of hops. Um, after it's, it, it boils for about an hour, um, depending on what style of beer you're making. Some will go for an hour and a half. Some can be two hours. Um, a longer boil just means that you will make a more concentrated liquid and your alcohols will be higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so once your boil is done, your hops are already in, it's sterile, um, it gets transferred to a whirlpool um, where it uh, goes through a whirlpool process, uh, which deposits any leftover hop particulate or uh, proteins um, sort of directly into the center of this tank. And what you're left with when you pump it into your fermenter is sort of a, a more polished uh, version of your liquid that you just created. Um, so that's, that's what we call the, the hot side of brewing. Um, that's where all your sort of temperatures are, are, you know, above sterile temperatures. Mm -hmm. Um, after Whirlpool, it gets uh, chilled rapidly and sent into a fermenter, uh, which is then called sort of your cold side of the brewing. Um, different fermenting temperatures will produce different types of things in your beer, um, and after it's done fermenting, which takes anywhere from two weeks to a month, again, depending on style, uh, it's ready to be filtered or not filtered, um, depending on what you're doing. And uh, it gets carbonated and it gets packaged. You know, you don't know anything about beer. Like, wow. Uh, no, you know, I, don't, I don't know. And that was the, the, that was the, the five, that was the nickel. That was the nickel tour. I also give Toonie tours and even Bill tours. No, I like that tour. That was good. Um, speaking of styles, let's talk about different uh, styles of beer. Um, lager, Pilsner, Wheat Ale, IPA. You say, you know, I hear IPA a lot. Right. So there's pretty much two sort of umbrella terms for the two pretty much main styles of beer, that's your lager and your ale. Okay. Um, everything else that you hear, whether it's Pilsner or a Belgian wheat or anything like that, they all fall under either a lager or an ale. Um, so for instance, a Pilsner, which is what I'm drinking right now, um, <laughs> is, is a type of lager. Um, so a lot of people will ask, well, what's the difference between a lager and a Pilsner? Pilsner is a very specific type of lager. Um, It comes from uh, the town of Pilsen in uh, the Czech Republic originally. Um, And it's special just because their water is very soft. Um, A lot of people don't know that your water makeup actually affects your beer quite significantly, actually. Um, So you can make a beer with hard water or soft water and it'll change the final product. Um, So the original Pilsner... Um, used very soft water. So when you want to replicate a Pilsner, you want to add in some, we call them brewing salts. So it's it's uh, different types of, of salts that you can add into your water to approximate whatever type of water that you need for that particular style of beer. So lager and Pilsner, Pilsner is just a type of lager. Same thing with a wheat ale, uh, Belgian wheat, you have rye IPAs, you have IPAs. They're all just different types of an ale. Um, IPAs are very uh, hop heavy. Um, right, an IPA stands for India Pale Ale. India Pale Ale, right. right. And uh, so you're looking at 60 and up on your IBUs in an IPA, which is International Bitterness Units. Mm-hmm. Um 
personally to me, I don't like to see BUs get above 80 because then at that point it's you're almost drinking the beer just to say, hey, I, I could drink this beer without, you know, cringing too hard. Um, oh, it's, it's not good. Well, <laughs> some people like it. Some people love the, the they're called hop heads, mm-hmm. and uh, they love to get that bitterness as high as possible. Um, that's not for me, but, you know. It, personal <laughs> this, preference. Personal yeah. preference, yeah. Um, but from from what I understand, your your taste threshold for bitterness units is somewhere like 120. Um, so if you have a 100 BU beer, you're almost at the limit of what you can actually taste perceive as bitterness oh, okay um, so yeah any higher it's, it's all the, any it's all higher the same. So it all just tastes the same right um <clears throat> so again ipas are just a, a type of ale and uh i mentioned sort of wheat and rye beers um instead of using barley you'd use wheat or rye which kind of alters some things you have to do throughout the process but they're all either ales or lagers we're going to take a little break but when we return we're going to talk about the many craft beers that fort gary brewing makes we'll be right back Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking to Fort Gary Brewing General Manager and Head Brewer, Orist and Dan. Okay, let's talk about some of the uh, limited edition craft beers you guys make. Right, um, Black Pearl, which is available this week, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the the spiced, you, know, so you had a spiced beer that was available last year, or is that December 5th this year, coming up? Well, that was last Christmas, oh, yeah. uh, the Naughty and Spice. Naughty and, Naughty and Spice, and spice. Yep. That's you one guys... of our Christmas beers. This year we're going to uh, come up with something that uh, Perry and Dan have been working on. Yeah, so so Perry, who is one of our brewers, um, he developed a great uh, toasted coconut milk stout. And nothing's off limits. That's what I love. Right? Yeah, and, and it's it's fantastic um, because, sure, the Naughty and Spice is, is great. Um, and it's a, it's a spiced stout. It's very heavy. It's very Christmassy, all those Christmas spices in there. Um, but I do like to sort of change it up uh, year after year. And, and when... A guy like Perry makes this delicious recipe, then and and people loved it. We had it at Flatlanders last year, mm-hmm. and people just went nuts for it. Um, so, to me, that says we have to make a full batch of it and and get it out there for more people to try. That's perfect. Exactly. Though. I want to try that. Yeah. Um, so the Brewmaster series, what is it, and why is it only in bottles? Uh, well, it, it, you know what? I, I want to say it's not in bottle. It started out just in bottles only, yep. 650 <laughs> ml bottles, single yeah. serves kind of thing. And now we are putting it into cans because that's what the consumer kind of wants yep. now. Uh, and uh, our next one that we're going to have is going to be our pumpkin, our Happy Jack, mm-hmm. which is going to be out by the beginning of s- September, which actually won the award in British Columbia for the second to third best Pumpkin beer. Oh, really? In in all of BC, it's, between there's other com- pumpkin beers out there. Like, oh, is, yeah. that, is that a yeah, like not a, so. pumpkin really? Is, uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. No, oh, yeah. I've never tried that before. And no, you I always don't... see them like close to Halloween. Um, yeah. You go to obviously. the states, everything is pumpkin. I, I mean, <laughs> never mind just the beer. I mean, <laughs> they're, 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 they're kind of crazy, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But so the pumpkin is uh, is uh, people uh, wait for that. We make. Uh, uh, a humongous batch of that kind of thing, and it uh, just flies off the shelves. And after that, we're going to come back with our Portage and Main IPA, which people have been asking for. We yeah. had it out last fall, I yeah. believe. I can't re- actually remember when, which is another one of our Brewmaster series. How do you remember all these different beers? Like I looked on your site, you guys have tons. We have, we have tons, and that's the thing with the Brewmaster series. It's, it's the... 
I can't say, hey, this is the the Brewmaster series for the year. It's yeah. if we come up with something new, uh, that's the Brewmaster series, yeah. right? Well, um, I mean, if I could just go back to the uh, the glass versus uh, can thing, mm-hmm. um, there is something to be said, I guess, for the classiness of drinking out of a bottle. That's it's seen as sort of the, the classier option. Is it really? It doesn't matter. To yeah, me. it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter to me. Right? <laughs> Cans right in my hand right now. So. Um, <laughs> It's just one of those things where you know I I don't I don't know it's uh you, you definitely see a trend towards cans these mm-hmm. days and uh, it, it's hard to exactly say why maybe it's just more convenient. Um, we were doing everything in a six fifty mil bottle as far as the Brewmaster series stuff, and started noticing that the other craft brewers across Canada were putting it in a four seventy three mil can because hmm. at one time that was more sacrilegious. To put it into a can, a bottle would be, uh, the taste would be more pure. Oh, okay, yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. You know, if you're not careful when you're doing your canning, you can get uh, like metallic taste because of the aluminum, stuff like that. Um, I guess you have to be a little more careful when you're, when you're putting in cans. Mm-hmm. But taste-wise, I, I don't really see a difference. Yeah, me either. Um, like I've drank out of bottles. I can't yeah. remember the last time I actually drank out of bottles, but um, cans for convenience and it tastes the same to me. Yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about some other special beers. And I brought up to you Growler and Howler. Yeah, so uh, Growlers are, uh, I guess they're 64-ounce glass jugs that you can pick up wherever you can get Growlers filled. Um, And a Howler is exactly half of that. So it would be a 32-ounce bottle, half the size. Um, So you can go to your vendor or the LC or wherever, most breweries have growler filling stations um, and you can buy a bottle and fill it up and you pretty much get the sort of the freshest product that uh, that is available. Um, so that's the the beauty about growlers. Yeah, plus uh, the growler howler program changes monthly. What do you so mean? the flavor that you're going to see uh, right now, we have the Buddha right. out there, but previous to that, three months earlier, we had the Red Hot Red. Oh, so the, the flavors change. Yeah. Everybody yeah. changes. Yeah. Every exactly. couple of weeks, yeah. they'll have something new on the There's four station. different uh, products that are that are at the at, at a growler station, and next month is going to change, so that'll be a surprise. So you'll only see it for a month. You will not be able to see it in a can or a bottle in Manitoba, so mm-hmm. if you like it, you got to go back and buy it. Okay, so let's talk about the Flatlanders Beer Festival. Right, you guys have three. You're entering three special or sampling three special yes. beers. Yeah. All right. What are those beers? Okay, so we have a blueberry wheat. Um, so again, uh, a blueberry wheat would be brewed all with sort of uh, a wheat um, that gives it sort of a more of a, a cracker flavor. Um, it's going to be a little hazier because wheat has lots of protein in it, um, and we add. Uh, real blueberry puree into it. Um, so the color is going to be very almost pinkish kind of, um, and you get a little sweetness from the blueberries. So it's going to be great. It's very light, great summer beer. Uh, we also have a smoked Rogan beer. So a Rogan beer is a rye beer, mm-hmm. um, and we use smoked malt uh, in it, which is, I, I'd, I'd like to say, my favorite type of malt to use because um, it's very unique and not a lot of beers showcase smoked malt they might have a very small percentage of their malt bill would be smoked malt but when you get a chance um, like this rogan beer to showcase a smoked malt um, it's something that people have not tried really yeah um, so when you try it you're you're gonna think 
this is not something that that is usual. Um, It's very smoky. It almost has a smoked salmon type flavor. Um, So we have that. um, And our last beer will be um, a rye IPA. Um, So again, instead of barley, we're using pretty much all rye. um, And we are using a single hop for this, which is El Dorado. And it's a West Coast style IPA, very tropical, very fruity. Um, It's going to be nicely carbonated. And uh, so we have a nice sort of lineup of, of different things. News, weather, and sports is up next, but when we return, we're going to talk more about beer, and we're going to talk to my friend Sean Branson from the Promenade Cafe on Provence about his experiences in the restaurant industry. This is Kevin Bergen, and this is a main ingredient on 680 CJOB. This is Kevin Bergen from the main ingredient, and when we return, we're going to continue talking to the general manager and head brewer from Fort Geary Brewing, and we're also going to talk to my friend Sean Branson from the Promenade Cafe and Wine on Provence regarding his experiences in the restaurant industry. This is 680 CJOB. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Main Ingredient. I'm your host, Kevin Bergen, and on this Father's Day weekend, we're going to talk about something most fathers enjoy, beer. And in studio today, I have Fort Gary Brewing General Manager, Orest Horesco, and head brewer, Dan Geddes, to talk about how they make their fine products. How are you doing today, guys? Great. We are very good. Okay, so let's say, you know, the sampling goes well. People receive these beers well. Um when do you plan on making them available? I know it's, it's, a, it's a testing ground for, for new beers, It is, right? but it's one of those things where, you know, usually we get pretty good feedback on most of the products that we sample there, right. and it, it becomes a time thing after that. It's, well, we just don't have the time to make full batches of all this stuff. For sure. There's, there's um, so many. But so, so we kind of line them up, and we keep them in our back pocket, and when we need a new beer, then we can say, oh, we never did anything with Perry's Toasted Coconut Stout, um, so we can bring right. it out maybe the following year mm-hmm. in a growler or a can or whatever. So, out of all those ones that aren't in the regular lineup, which one is the most popular? Which one have you know people are always asking for? It has to be the. No one has really come out and emailed me or called me and said anything other than the toasted coconut milk stout. Really? So you it was really from Flatlanders. Yeah, from Flatlanders. Yeah. Um. So it, it's not like people email me every day saying, "Hey, <laughs> you got that out? Uh, When's it coming uh, out?" Uh, yeah. yeah, but. Uh, I've heard the most about the toasted coconut, and it's. I I know it must be great because this is you know a year later and people are still talking about it. Um, so that's that's the one that I think that we should really be coming out with, and it might be coming out uh, at some point soon. Yeah. Expect a text or an or an email when it's coming out. Mm-hmm. You'll okay. be the first to get it. All right. We might be able to invite you down and get to try it from the vat. Mm-hmm. I think you know me mm-hmm. testing it out is a very good tester. Yes. I make a very good <laughs> beer tester. <laughs> Um, okay, guys, I appreciate you coming in. Thanks. So what beer are you drinking, Dan? What are you sampling? I am sampling our very own Fort Gary Pilsner. And uh, everyone should know what a Pilsner is now because we talked about it earlier. Uh, who designs these cans? These cans are awesome. Uh, labels are limited. Wow, it's really, they're really nice. I they're like in them. Winnipeg. Uh, great company to work with. Emile Chartier uh, is the gentleman that we deal with. And uh, they... Um, they come to our defense a lot of times with a lot of creative work, and some of the other stuff we uh, we pull out of BC out of another uh, another ad company out of BC, yep. actually, which is uh, pretty cool too. But most of it is is from Manitoba. I forgot to ask you guys how important is it for you to try to stay with local products when you can? Well, it's it's important, but at the same time, sometimes it's difficult. Right. Um, for some of these ingredients that we're using, the climate is not very forgiving mm-hmm. in Manitoba. Yep. Um, the best hops, for instance, are, are grown in Seattle. Um, 
but we do uh, purchase some hops from local hobby yep, farmers. Uh, yeah, at, and uh, we like to as much as we can, as much as it's practical and possible. Um, the grain that we use is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, it's it's really trying to get people to understand that it's very difficult to grow hops in Manitoba. Um, I've had a couple people call me and ask me um, just various questions about if it, if it's possible and and what we should or what they should look out for. Um, and it is difficult, but you can do it. And when you do it right, you can produce a quality hop that rivals any of the best. Mm-hmm. So. Right, you're, you're going to try to use Manitoba products, but again, if, if the quality of the beer is yeah. going to suffer, yeah. you, you just got to Ex- exactly. you gotta make the best product. I mean, the grain period. comes from the prairies. That's about as that's pretty right. good. I mean, maybe a lot of it that we that we get from Malt Europe. It's from Manitoba, yeah. mm. but some of it is from Saskatchewan also. So, Yeah. Okay, guys, I appreciate you coming in, and I will see you... Um, 22nd. Tomorrow 22nd. for this? Yeah. Again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring the beers. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Just coming in. Um, you know, I work downtown in the daytime. We can meet there, and then okay. we'll just meet here. So this is going to be a should, daily affair I think affair we should now. just do it at the brewery. I think so. I think, yeah, that's correct. All right, thanks okay. a lot, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. I'll be back right after new sports and weather. Grab a coffee and stick around. We were just talking to Fort Gary Brewing about making beer, and now we're going to talk to my friend Sean Branson, who is the owner of the Promenade Cafe and Wine on Provence. Hey, Kev, how's it going? Pretty good, Sean. How you doing? Awesome, really good. You know, um, we haven't seen each other for a while, but obviously you've been a busy guy. Yeah, you know, busy, easily distracted. Uh, you know, it could be a combination of both. Yeah, me and you both. Um, so, what was your introduction to the restaurant industry? I know you've been doing it for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I uh, my best friend's father and and mother were restaurateurs in the city, uh, Heinz and Joanna Kattenfeld, mm-hmm. and uh, I started uh, started working for them in 1984. So oh, I was 14 boy. years old. Or, volleyball uh, and restaurant. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The volleyball when we played volleyball together, yeah. kind of cut into some shifts, but I still worked there uh, part-time washing dishes, worked my way up in the kitchen. And then uh, when I uh, got a little older, started as a busboy and uh, bartender and then worked my way from the front of the, front of the house. What made you, you worked your way from the back of the house to the front? Yeah. So uh, dishwashing uh, in at uh, Victor's restaurant in Osborne Village. Uh, Holy smokes. You know, uh, worked my way from dishwashing to pots. Yep. And then we did salads and desserts. <laughs> and then uh, the char broiler and... Uh, yeah, it just it, it was a whole process. Uh, great education, uh, working there part time, but and working with some amazing people. But there was a real progression with the different stations and learning the whole thing. Yeah. So okay. So when you went to, how, what was the difference between the front of the house and the back of the house? Like most people, when they go to the back, when they work at the back, mm-hmm. they kind of want to go to the front to make more money when you're young, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, in those days I was making five fifty an hour, I think, uh, back in, in the our, 80s, our 90s. Our kids would laugh at that. Isn't that, that crazy? That number is crazy. I know. And uh, so, you know, at that time I, I kind of, I enjoyed the food part of it. I love building and being creative, but then also the customer experience and, and, and talking to them and making people special nights really appealed to me. And, you know, I went to into bartending. It seemed like nobody knew how to make a drink in the restaurant. They knew how to sell wine, but that was about it. So, you know, I I looked at the different drinks and and wanted to learn how to make the different cocktails and, uh, and then, uh, did some bartending and then later on, uh, serving. 
Okay, so after serving and bartending, mm-hmm. you're making you know you're making a few bucks. Sure, it's usually when you're young, that's what you're in it for. You want to make some bucks. Yeah, to go to the bar later. Exactly, hundred percent. Right. Yeah, I yeah. remember working at Earl's and going to the Big A and sure for yeah. last call is yeah, Wednesday night. Yes, I think it was Wednesday. Or Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember. I can remember back then. Yeah. Um, okay, so what made you decide to get into the restaurant industry fully and 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 own your own restaurant? Like, what was the introduction to owning a restaurant? Well, my my introduction, I, I always felt myself uh, compelled to manage uh, or look at people, sort of train people, whether it was becoming uh, the head busboy and then the bartender and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But then um, when I, uh, when Victor's was sold, uh, after I'd worked there for about 12 years, it was sold to a couple and then we created uh, G Martini Bar in Osborne Village. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So for for me, that was the first uh, sort of bit of ownership or having some skin in the game. Um, created the Martini Bar. Okay, um, for, for those who don't know what G mm-hmm. Bar, Martini Bar was, what kind of what kind of place was that? Yeah, yeah, it's it's in Osborne Village. Uh, it's uh, it's still there. Uh, they they actually it, it, it's a uh, Martini Bar, first Martini Bar in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's we on were, River, right? On River, yeah, River in Osborne, yep. right uh, in the old McKim Building. I'm not sure what it what it is now, but right across from the gas station theater. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to create a, a unique experience there. It was really Joanna's Lounge beforehand, and it was more kind of like late lunch things uh, from Victor's. And we just wanted to create an experience to, to, to create that. Looked at a lot of books, looking at trends. The cocktail culture was coming coming back in, mm-hmm. in the mid-90s. And mm-hmm. we said, you know what, let's try this martini thing. So I looked at how do you, com- how do you compose a drink looking at all the different components in food. I'd already done food and you look at ingredients and look at what is the sweetness, what is the acid, what is the citrus, and then looking at creating martinis. So created 140 martinis, which uh, we actually went through and uh, narrowed it down to 38. And uh, and then when G Martini Bar was born, I almost didn't survive. I mean, uh, even going through the sommelier program and drinking wine every day, the the martini bar almost <laughs> sunk me. Even even nights at the A and stuff like that, it's still, yeah, it was a lot of drinking. I'm wasted, uh, but I'm just working. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm just working. Huh? Yeah. So I'd manage downstairs uh, at the restaurant and then go upstairs later to help with the rush and, and uh, come up with my martini du jour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, so all of those are ones that you created. None were, were ones that were, well, I'm sure there's yeah. ones that, that were, were ones that already existed. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at ones that are already there, like we had a Caesar teeny and, you know, so obviously I didn't create the Caesar, but yeah, just make it something of, better. You take, yeah, you take sort of inspiration from those things. Uh, Velvet Shaker is one that I was really proud of. Uh, it was with Blue Carousel. It actually, Uptown Magazine named it the best cocktail in the city uh, oh, the really? year that we opened, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. And the Curious George is kind of neat. I took bananas and made little banana ears on the, on the on the martini bar. And a lot of these drinks they're still using uh, using now. That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Fun. So that ends. How did that end? Well, we uh, I decided uh, I had uh, some some partners and I was managing, and I decided either you know what we're going to buy we're going to buy you out or I'm going to leave, and uh, decided uh, on a Saturday that uh, I was going to leave, and they were going to that basically uh, we were done, and I started working lunches at Beaujolais Restaurant in Saint Boniface uh, on the Monday, mm-hmm. so. Uh, there was a catering accident with the full-time lunch server that was there, and I just happened to be How fortunate the, for you, huh? I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, so uh, it opened up some lunch shifts. So I went from basically creating my own thing, managing the restaurant, to working four lunches at a, at a Beaujolais at a French restaurant. And, wow. and that's where the sort of the passion for French food really came through and, and, uh, and uh, went from working lunches all the way to managing and 
and being the sommelier and managing in the evenings and, and four and a half years of, 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 of a great experience with a great team. Okay, so four and a half years later, is that where the, the promenade was born? Like, okay, well, you're 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 running this, you're 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 working there, right? And, and really learning from the ground up. How yeah, they... and and it was a great experience. I mean, we we wore tuxedos for service. Uh, I oh, won, wow. I won, yeah, I won the first Wine Spectator Award in the province uh, at that time in '98. And then um, it, the Provence Bridge was built, and it kind of created some stress in the restaurant. Uh, the restaurant closed. Uh, and then I worked at the Fairmont for a little while, for mm-hmm. about six months, and then Nakwa uh, Country Club was looking for a food provider, and so I went there with the the, the owner of Beaujolais and uh, as partners, yep, and was there for nine years. And the last four years of that, I, I bought Valerie out and, and ran that, and that's where Provence, um, Provence Bistro started, uh, which is a restaurant that I had there. So you were committed to these things from the start. Like yeah, you, were getting, and, you knew and just, this was going to be it. Yeah, and just creating stuff. I mean, I always did different different things on the side, but then I'd always bring myself back to being with people and, and being building teams and concepts and that sort of thing. Yep. So yeah, we ran ran that until uh, 2011, and then I uh, opened, well, I got the contract for Fort Gibraltar and, and bought uh, Promenade Cafe and Wine, and uh, we've been doing that uh, since. And then just last year we started at Lower Fort Gary at Provisions uh, Market and Cafe. And how's that going? What what is the what is the main concept of of uh, Provisions? Uh, the main concept for Provisions is to have a restaurant that's very very casual, using local ingredients, but then also having the, those ingredients for purchase at the restaurant. So we have uh, John Russell Honey, we have Crampton's Jam, Nature's Farm uh, Pasta. Um, you know, a lot of different ingredients. We have some loose leaf teas you can buy, but you, Notre Dame creamery butter. So these are all the local ingredients that I've been using over the years and incorporating them, but you can actually buy them uh, there. And then we're open seven days, a for, seven days a week for lunch. And then uh, we also do all the catering for the entire historic site, uh, oh, including yeah, the ballroom, which is, well, not 100 people. Uh, an outdoor event structure, the historical buildings that are over 220 years old, as well as our marquee tent that can accommodate up to 400 people that just went up last week. So. Holy smokes. Well, it must be, it's a, it's perfect. It's hand in hand, right? Yeah. I go there, I, I'm, I'm a meeting from the catering or I'm in the, in the cafe yeah. and I want to know, Hey, where can I get this? Well, actually you can get it just right over there. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and the, the tent just went up last week. It's, it's incredible. Uh, two pole tent for 400 people, big windows. Um, it's something uh, at Fort Gibraltar, we're incredibly busy. We have over 84 weddings, uh, this year and we were at capacity. Yep. It's about 150 people max. Mm-hmm. And so this gives us a bit more capacity and we're, people love our food, uh, and, and, and the experience of our staff. So we're able to do that on a, on a bigger scale, right along the banks of the Red River in a national historic site. So it's, it's a, an amazing venue, lots of potential. You know, you really have to quit slacking. You really have to get on, <laughs> you know, and get to work, Sean. Well, that's, I've, I've heard that before. <laughs> Am I at home or am I on the radio? <laughs> Actually, your wife's uh, outside the oh, studio. She's, she's waiting for you. My she, feed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing too is my wife, Connie, uh, she's amazing. She's ever since we bought uh, Valerie out halfway through Naqua, she's been my rock and, and she basically runs Fort Gibraltar and and, and, and uh, many of the other businesses and, and I couldn't do it without her. It's a fantastic you know. union in, in many ways, right? Absolutely. Yeah. This is Kevin Bergen from the Made Ingredients signing off today. I'd like to thank my guests, Orist and Dan from Fort Gary Brewing, and I'd also like to thank Sean Branson from the Promenade Cafe and Wine on Provence. Tomorrow we're going to continue our talks about beer on Father's Day, and we're going to talk to the organizers of the Flatlanders Beer Festival about the 244 products they have available to sample at the event next weekend at the MTS Center. 
and we can tell you how you can get tickets, and it would be a great present to get to your dad, to buy for your dad if you haven't bought him something already. And this is Kevin Bergen on 680 CJOB. This is 680 CJOB.